This week's parsha is parsha Svaera, and the seventh makkah out of ten, which is the last makkah that appears in this week's parsha, is of course makkah's barad. Makkah's barad, Hakadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu that I'm going to bring this hail, the special hail over Mitzrayim. And indeed that happened. The hail descended upon Eretz Mitzrayim. And it, it descended upon everything in the fields. From man to beast. That all of the grass of the field, the hail struck, and every tree of the field, it smashed. So the Pasuk goes and is medaptic in every single thing that the hail actually affected. And then Parai could not take it. And he calls Moshe and Aaron in, and he says, "Chatasi Apam, Hashem Atzadik, Vani Vami Harishoyim." It's time to stop it. We're going to send out Bnei Yisrael. Stop the hell. Moshe Rabbeinu does that, and the pasuk says towards the end of the parsha that the hell stopped. But the lashon of the pasuk is that. The thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain did not reach the earth. Rashi says that what this means is, Even those hailstones, and even the rain that was in midair, as soon as HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided that it was time for the Barat to stop, those hailstones stopped mid-air. They did not hit the ground. It didn't hit the ground, it just immediately vaporized in thin air. Ramesha Feinstein asks on this Pasuk, what's the Chiddush? Why is the Pasuk going out of its way to tell us this, that the Barah did not actually descend, it didn't land all the way on the ground, it stopped mid-air. Why is that relevant? And Rebbeisha says that all of the Makkas teach us and, t- and taught Mitzrayim and Klal Yisrael very major lessons in Ashokha practice. Rebbeisha says that we assume that Teva is all a given. There's something called gravity. Gravity is something that Isaac Newton discovered, and we know that if you throw something down from a roof, it's going to go downward. And that's a given. That's something that everybody agrees on. There's no one that would argue with that. But let's say HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides that that's not the law that I want in nature. Up until today, gravity pulled things down. But right now, I want gravity to take things up. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a Kol Yachel. He could change the rules of nature. Just because up until this point, this is the way something was, does not mean that that's the way it will be. 
The only reason why gravity works right now is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is Mahada the Bria, he constantly renews creation. As we say every day in davening, everything is constantly regenerating, renewing. It's not on cruise control from Bria Salem, and this is the way it's going to be forever. If something is happening, that's only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I want it to happen right now. He brings a raya to this from Reb Chanina ben Daisa on the Gemara and Tainus. Reb Chanina ben Daisa famously says, Mi sheyaymar l'shem en v'yadlik, hu yaymar l'chaymetz v'yadlik. The same HaKadosh Baruch Hu that says, that oil should burn, and that we know naturally happens. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could say that Chaimetz vinegar will burn. But vinegar has never burned up until this point. So how can all of a sudden vinegar be a fuel to burn? The answer is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do whatever he wants. The same God that said that oil burns, he could declare that vinegar should burn, and that's completely up to him. The Maka of Barat, says Ramesha, teaches us that whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to do, he can do. There's Hashkacha Pratyas to the millisecond. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I want Barat to descend, the Barat comes down. But as soon as HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm pulling the plug, I'm Maka's Barat, it's over, then all of those hailstones, even though the force of gravity should naturally be taking them down, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says there's no more Barod. There's no more gravity right now. And therefore they all stopped right in the middle of descending and they vaporized. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu was showing Mitzrayim and the world how he is not only the Bayre, he's not only the creator of nature, but he's the Manig. He constantly controls nature every single second. And if there's something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants, it will happen. The moment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm changing things, it's not going to be this way, it will not happen. And these are the rules that we have to know in our world of nature. Just because HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it this way does not mean that all the laws of physics will continue to respond accordingly because it's all up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is true, by the way, for everything. I have uh, been spending time tutoring one of my children in, uh, in geometry lately, and you go through... I, I love geometry for some reason. I don't know, it's, uh, it's very geeky, but like geometry to me was always the nicest of all of the, of all of the math, science, whatever you call it, because... It's so logical and it's so precise and the theorems are so interesting to build upon. And, you know, and you, see, you see these theorems and you wonder, how did you know this? And, and is it always true? How did Pythagoras figure out that A squared plus B squared equals C squared? And all these other theorems that we know are true, they're only true because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that this is the way it is. And they're not only true because Pythagoras came up with it. These are many of these things, pi and, and many other mathematical theorems are really found in, in the Gemara and Rishonim. The Vilna Gain famously wrote a chibur called Ayel Mesholosh about trigonometry and geometry. These are things that the Torah says is true. 
But that's only true because HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it that way. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that A squared plus B squared does not equal C squared, then suddenly that would not be true. Just because something is a given in science, in math, in nature, in physics, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way. It's only that way because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is the way it should be. The moment that he changes things, everything is different. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly the mashkiach over the Bria. And he's Mahava the Bria. He regenerates and he renews. And every single moment that things are that way, it's because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is precisely the way that I want them to be. I wanted to use this Rav Meisha, but really bring it a little bit closer to home. To perhaps answer the question of Ramesha, what do we learn? What do we learn from the fact that Barad was Lainitach Arza? That Barad did not land on the ground as soon as Hakarishbahu decided that the Makkah of Barad had fulfilled its purpose. The hailstone stopped in midair and they did not hit the ground. What lesson could we take from that? I want to understand together with you a little bit what Makkah's Barad was. Makkah's Barad is, I think, the coolest of all the Makkahs. I don't think the Mitzrim thought that, but personally, Makkah's Barad is the coolest. Why? Because there's a famous briskarov on Makkah's Barad, on a Pasuk that I had mentioned before, about how Barad hit the earth. Makas Barad, the Pasuk says, it hit the Chalaretz Mitzrayim, Eskola Sher Basada, everything in the field. From man to beast, every blade of grass and every tree was hit by Makas Barad. So the Briskarov asks a very simple question. Why does the Pasuk have to say that? Wouldn't we understand if I told you that it's raining outside right now? Would I have to go and say, yeah, and the, all the grass is getting wet, and the people walking around are getting wet, the animals outside are getting wet. Okay, Rebbe, it's okay, we, we get it. We understand, it's, it's raining. Why do you have to go and delineate everything in the Pasuk? So the Briskarov says, beautiful. He says, Barad was not indiscriminate hail. Barad was something that Akhrishparhu created missiles. And with surgical precision, he hit every single target that he intended to hit. It wasn't just hail, it wasn't just Akhrishparhu made a rainstorm, a hailstorm, and the meteorologist understood that as being a regular weather pattern. That was not what Barad was. If you think that that's what Barad was, just bad weather, then you're missing the whole point of Barad, says the Biskarov. Barad was actual missiles, bullets, bombs that were being targeted at every blade of grass, at every man, at every behemoth. If HaKadosh Baruch wanted to hit one behemoth and not another behemoth, he would do that. 
one patch of grass and not another patch of grass, he would do that. Every single hail of a barad was a precise laser-guided missile. Somebody once was magdir to me in Eretz how sophisticated their bombs are, their weapons are. Maybe America has such bombs also, but in Eretz they have such precision bullets and missiles that they could hit a target if they're sitting in, I don't know, wherever, in, in Demona or wherever, they're, wherever they're, they're shooting from, they could hit a terrorist somewhere in the Gaza Strip and the only Shiloh that they have to clear is they want to hit his right nostril or his left nostril. That's how precise their weaponry is. They can mamish hit a fly, literally, if they want. They know exactly how to pinpoint a target. That's what Barad was. Barad was precise targeting of every single thing. That's what the Torah is magish, what the Barad hit. May Adam ad behemah, es kol basadeh, es kol shiber, it broke trees, it ripped up grass, but only the ones that HaKadosh precisely wanted to be hit. And that's the way Makas Barad was. It was only what HaKadosh Baruch Hu intended and nothing else. Whenever I think of this Vard of the Briskarov, I think of a story that took place with Rameyar Simcha Midevinsk. Rameyar Simcha wrote two classical svarim. He wrote the Arsameach on the Rambam and he wrote the Meshachachma which is a masterpiece on Chumash. He actually wrote the Meshachachma first, but he published the Arsameach first. Why? Because his father told him that I don't want you publishing the Meshachachma before you publish the Arsameach. Because if you publish the Meshachachma first, which is, it's a Sefer on Chumash that's basically, a, it's a, like I said before, it's a masterpiece, and it shows what a London Rameir Simcha was and how he knew Kala but his father was afraid that if you publish the Meshachachma first, people are going to always peg you as a darshan. You're going to be like a Chumash rabbi. You're going to be a rabbi that knows how to darshan. You're like a mashkiach. You're, not, you're never going to be a Rashiva. People are not going to look at you as a, as a Rashiva. You're not a Rashiva material. You wrote Meshachachma. So first he published the Arsameach, which he earned his stripes as being a, a first-class London on the Rambam. And after that, then and only then, did he prepare the Meshachachma for printing. He never saw it actually printed, because unfortunately it was Nifter before it was published. The year it was published, but before it was actually published. And he had somebody else publish it posthumously. But this is Rameir Simcha. He lived in a city called Devinsk. And in Devinsk there was actually two great Gedalim which is very rare, it wasn't like Vilna, it wasn't a huge city, it was a small city. There was a mayor Simcha who was the rob of the Litvisha part of town, and then there was the Rogachavar, the famous genius, who was the rob of the Hasidisha part of the town. And they respected each other greatly. During the First World War, so it was a very dangerous time to be in Devinsk because the Grand Duke Nikolai 
he ordered the expulsion of all Jews from the Russo-German front. And so it was very dangerous to be in Devinsk, which was right in that area. It was a, a very big war zone. And so a lot of the Jews packed out of Devinsk, including the Rogachava. The Rogachava, they convinced him that he should not be there, so he left. But Mayor Simcha did not want to leave. The mayor Simcha said that as long as there's a million of Jews in the town, as long as there's nine people, then I'll be the tenth. I am not going to flee a town and leave my constituents, my congregants, my, my tzibar behind. I don't do that. I stay until I'm the last person. I, I shut the lights of the town. If there are Jews staying, I am not fleeing. I'm not leaving. And they said, but it's very dangerous. There are bombs flying. Everything is, you know, who knows? We could get killed over here. Let's get out of here. And Rameyer Simcha brings a Taisus in Abayi Zara. The Taisus, if you want to look it up, it's on Tesayin and Medbez. Taisus there quotes the Yerushalmi. And Taisus says, Afilo Tzipaira Kalila, even a light bird, Mibalade Shemaya Laimitatsta without HaKadosh Baruch Hu, without heaven declaring that that light bird, that that simple small bird should be caught, it will never be caught. And Taisus says, Kol Bar Inish, certainly a human being. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants a person to be killed, to be trapped, to be finished, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do that. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not want the person to be killed, he will not do that. He will not be killed. And Rameyu Simcha famously says, every bullet has an address. Every bullet has an address on it. If, it's, if you're meant to be shot and killed, you'll be shot and killed. If you're not meant to be shot and killed, you won't be shot and killed. You could be in a, in a very dangerous war zone. HaKadosh Baruch could say, you're not going to get killed. And you could be in a place that's not dangerous, and suddenly you could be killed. So Rameya Simcha taught his, his community that there's nothing to be worried about. Obviously a person shouldn't go into a Makim Sakana, but if you're living in a place and you're worried about getting killed, you should just know that you don't have to run anywhere. Because if you're going to get killed, HaKadosh Baruch will kill you. you. When your time is up, your time is up. And every bullet has its address. Every bullet, whether even if it's a crude bullet, if it's a sophisticated bullet, every bullet has its address. Makas Barad taught us this lesson. That Akadosh Baruch Hu sends bullets precisely where they're supposed to land. Every Barad, every hailstone had a target. It might have been a man here, it might have been an animal there. It may have been a blade of grass, it may have been a, a tree. If it was meant to hit that target, it would. And it did. And if it wasn't, it did not. That's the degree of hashraka pratis that we have to know exists in the world. Again, a person should not go into a dangerous place. This doesn't mean, oh, so I should run through uh, you know, Afghanistan and, and, may, and it'll be fine. We don't put ourselves in a Makim Sakana. We don't rely on a nace happening. But in terms of, if you're in a place and bombs are flying, you should know that HaKadosh Baruch only will hit you if you're supposed to be hit. You will not be hit if you're not supposed to be hit. 
And if that's true at the beginning of the Makkah, that's true also at the end of the Makkah. Why did the Barad stop mid-air, as Ramesh asked? What's the importance of that? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling you that in warfare and in life, even if a bomb is about to hit you, I can make it stop. I have the power to stop threats from happening to you, even in mid-air. Even if it seems that naturally it will happen, I could say that it will not happen. You know, the Vilna Gain was somebody, obviously, who was the, the leader of Kali Yisrael. He was the most brilliant mind. He knew everything. He knew Kala And he sat in a very small base medrash. He had a kleiz, it was called. A very small room with a few Talmidim, and that's where he sat and learned. We have a fame, it's, it's destroyed today. After the war, they destroyed this, the, you know, the, it was bombed out together with the whole, that whole part of Vilna. They're actually doing excavations now because archaeologists, they found exactly where the ruins of, of this whole area was. We'll discuss it in a second. But, and they're, they're going to probably be digging it up and, and rebuilding it possibly. But there was the great shul of Vilna. It was a beautiful, grand masterpiece of architecture. It was a massive shul. And right next to this great synagogue was the Vilna Gain's little place. And the Vilna Gain rarely left his base medrash. That's where he learned, that's where he davened. Rarely, if ever, would he go into that big shul, even though it was like a stone's throw away. But there was one time that he went in to the big shul. A few years before he died, four years before he died, so that's, 19, that's 1793. He was nifter in 1797. So in 1793, the Russians surrounded Vilna, and they wanted to take it away from the Polish. So, and they started bombarding Vilna. They not only besieged the city, but they were bombing the city. On the 30th day of the siege, which was Tuba'av, they decided to open up a particularly heavy barrage of fire on the city of Vilna. And all the inhabitants of Vilna, all the Jews that lived in Vilna were told that they have to come to the main shul to Davin. And they all went into this main shul and they davened and they were screaming and crying because they thought they were hearing the bombs go off all over the place. The Vilna guy walks into the shul and he gets up to the Arna Kaidesh. He opens it up and he begins to say the capital Yan Hashem Biansar, which is the 20th capital of Tilim. All of a sudden, a thunderous noise was heard as a cannonball landed on the roof of the shul. And everybody went crazy because they were just expecting the worst. Here you have the entire city of Vilna, all the Jews, thousands of Jews, packed into this shul like sardines, and there's a bomb that's about to explode over the head of the shul. The Vilna guy starts screaming out over the panic crowd, Batel! Batel! Meaning, be mevatel, this, this bomb. And they're waiting for the explosion, and it didn't come. And with that, the Russians came into the city, the bombardment stopped, and the Jews were saved. 
that cannonball remained on the roof of the great synagogue of Vilna for about 200 years until the Second World War when the shul was destroyed. And there's basically, you know, we have pictures of the ruins of the shul, the ruins of the Graz house next door to the shul. But this is an important lesson for us. That when there's a bomb that's falling in mid-air, which naturally should explode, it should naturally detonate, it should naturally destroy the people below, HaKadosh Baruch Hu again could stop it in mid-air and make us safe. That's the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to protect His people. I think everyone in the room except for me is too young to remember. I don't think you were probably born during the Persian Gulf War. Was anyone born in, in 1993, I think it was? No, right? I was born in 1992. Oh. Yeah? yeah. So, uh, uh, it was 1991, so I wasn't born yet. Okay. So that means that no one in the room was born during the Persian Gulf War. Oh, uh, you Okay, but he doesn't remember. He was about three, three months old. So, um, so the, uh, during the Persian Gulf War, there was Saddam Hussein Yemachshamayit. He was threatening Eretz Yisrael. And he said that I am going to bomb Eretz Yisrael. He had what was called Scud missiles. Scud missiles were not like little missiles. Scud missiles were missiles the size of a school bus. There was a question about whether he had the technology to put biological or chemical heads on top of these missiles, and Baruch Hashem, he didn't. But in any event, he, la- he launched 39 missiles over the course of several weeks into Eretz Now, 39 school buses, imagine if I told you I'm, throwing, I'm, I'm launching a school bus into uh, Forest Hills. You can imagine that would do a lot of damage. 39 school buses were launched from Iraq to Eretz Yisrael, to populated places in Eretz Yisrael. He didn't have perfect aim, but it doesn't matter. You don't need perfect aim. You just have to... 39 Scud missiles landed in Eretz Yisrael over the course of this war, and not a single direct death, not a single death was directly incurred by the bomb hitting. There was a lot of damage that was done. There were buildings that were, that were destroyed, Nobody died from a direct hit. That was a nice Negro. I actually had a cousin. My father had a cousin who I knew well. I used to eat by him in Israel. He was the only person I believe that died during the Persian Gulf War but from these Scud missiles, but not from a direct hit. There was sealed rooms. Everybody was told they gave out gas masks to the entire population of Israel because they were afraid that there were chemical gases that were going to be launched on these missiles and you, you were supposed to seal up your room with duct tape and put the gas masks on when you got the siren when you got the call that, this, that there was an incoming and he was so nervous, he was a holocaust survivor and he had like these flashbacks of what happened during the war and he was so certain that he was going to die that he had a heart attack and he died but he was, I believe, the only person that actually died during the war from... So, 
that was something that was a nice nigla. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Auerbach said that if Anshe Knesset Gedailo were around during the time of the Persian Gulf War, they would no doubt write a special Megillah to describe the Nisim Galuyim that took place during this period of time. It was an amazing, it was a very scary period of time. Every single time that there was a Scud that was being launched, all of the major New York news stations, 1010 Wind, CBS, they stopped their coverage of whatever they were doing, and they, they were actually covering every single bomb, what was going to happen, because they thought that it was going to you know, be the end of Eretz Yisrael. And then, Baruch Hashem, the, it, it passed, the bomb fell, nothing happened, they went back to their north. It was like, it was Nisim Gluyen, that you'd have these huge missiles falling and not a single thing happened. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the ability to say what gets hit, what doesn't get hit, what should destro- get destroyed, what should not get destroyed, what should detonate, what should not. And sometimes even in mid-air, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes sure that it's deflected so that it doesn't hit its intended target. I read uh, not too long ago that during the during the most recent Mohammed Eretz Yisrael so there was the Iron Dome which is itself a, a very big nace that they invented the Iron Dome just in time for that last war because there were hundreds, maybe thousands of missiles being launched from Gaza and, and the Iron Dome was just invented and they didn't know if it was going to work and it was able to first of all see what was going into populated areas and what not the ones that weren't they just let go and also the ones that were going towards populated areas it sent up a, a, a missile and it destroyed it in midair which is it's an, it's an incredible, I saw one of them happen I was in Eric Sussel during part of that war and we were, I was with my son for his Anachas Tefillin and we were walking in Geula and um, we were in a falafel store actually and all of a sudden, we, we didn't even hear anything, but we saw like a lot of like uh, chassidim, we saw like across the street from the falafel store, they were all standing up and they were like taking pictures on their cell phones. And we were like, what's going on here? So we go out and they all, they're all pointing up. We see like this plume of smoke and they said that was, it was just a missile that was destroyed. And then my son got so scared, he was like, we have to get out of here. And I remember we, uh, we were walking down the street and we bumped into Rav Stav. Rav Stav from Karambiyavna, who was here, who was a scholar in residence. And um, he said, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? Good to see you. And my son said, do we have to get in? Just keep going. We're going, we're going back to the hotel. And Rav Stav like, what, what's, you know, what are you so scared about? So he says, well, I mean, don't you see what's going on? There's like bombs going off. So he says, ah, there's nothing to be afraid of. Everything is good. The Rabbi Nishram's watching us. It's fine. And, um, and it's true. It's true. But it's all, the, the Iron Dome, that, that itself is a maze, that they were able to invent it, that the Rabbi Nishram gave the Chachma and the technology to invent it just in the nick of time. That was all what we take from Makkah's borrowed. How every single thing, every bullet has an address. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends things when he wants to send things, and he stops it when he doesn't. There was a, a ter- one of the terrorists that were shooting these missiles in Paris Israel were asked by like a reporter, like, 
can't you guys get like one 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 direct hit? Like, I mean, send like a couple and like if you see, like figure it out. Like you guys, you, you, like it's impossible to do one good hit. Like the reporter like wanted that. You know, it's not a story. They just everything getting shot down is not interesting. It doesn't sell papers. So the terrorist was quoted as saying the following. He says, we do aim our rockets. It's not like we're, it's not a Hefkebel. We're not doing it randomly. We're aiming our rockets at exactly where we're supposed to. But their God changed their path in midair. They, they saw with their own eyes how the Rebbeinu Shalom deflected the missile that when it was supposed to go here, it went there. That's not Shachah Pratis that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to call yourself. And this is something that we should take a lesson from. Not only if you live in Eretz Yisrael or you live in a, in a dangerous area, you should feel that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is protecting us. You know, it's famous of Chaim Kanievsky says that B'nai Brak is the most safe place in the world. A lot of times during the Persian Gulf War when Marshall people wanted to leave Eretz Yisrael. Americans, or a lot of American Yeshua buff from there, they said, and their parents for sure wanted them to come home. What are you, crazy? You're staying in Eretz Yisrael? Come home. And they would go to Rebchaim uh, Penevsky and some people. Anyway, but he says, if you're living in B'nai Brak, you have nothing to worry about. Some people, he says, have to go home. But if you're living in B'nai Brak, you shouldn't worry. The Chazen Ish said that no bombs are landing on B'nai Brak, that the Torah protects B'nai Brak, nothing is happening. And he felt even after the Chazanish was nifter, that Havkacha stayed. So, some of the Bakram asked, he said, he said more than, he said, he says, we have Rav Shach in B'nai Brak. At the time Rav Shach was still alive, he says, Rav Shach lives in B'nai Brak, and the city is protected. So he said, they, so these Bakram would say, yeah, but we just went to Rav Shach, and he told us to get out. He said, go home. So you're telling us that we have Rav Shach. Rav Shach himself told us to leave. So Rav Chaim had a famous line. He says, that's because Rav Shach doesn't know who Rav Shach really is. He says, I know who Rav Shach really is. Rav Shach doesn't realize his power. And, and it's true. None of the Scud missiles, they were la- launching all the Scud missiles towards Tel Aviv because Tel Aviv is like, you know, that's the happening, cool, most populated place in Eretz Yisrael. So that's what, that was their main target. And Tel Aviv and Bnei Brak are mamish, you know, side by side almost. Nothing landed within the goal of, of Bnei Brak. HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects Tal Yisrael in ways that, is, that are supernatural. Whether we realize it or not, not just if you live in Eretz Yisrael, if you live in America, there are things that are happening. There are threats that are happening to us that we don't even know about. But HaKadosh Hu does know and HaKadosh Hu protects us. Reb Itzlam Yivalazhin, who was the son of Reb Chaim Yivalazhin, he used to be a very big, um, like an activist, I guess you would call it today. Somebody that would constantly go and do shtadlanis on behalf of Klal Yisrael. So if there was ever a gzera that needed to be taken care of, he would go and he would speak to all the big machas in, in, in charge in the government, and he would, he would try to do whatever he could to stop the, the gezeras from taking place. So one time, a, a Russian officer came to Rebitzlami Velazhin and asked him a question on a pasuk in Tehillim that we say in Halo. Halu as Hashem kol gayim, all the Goyim should give great praise to God. Why? 
Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so good to us, to the Jewish people. So the Goyim should praise Hashem. The, the, this Russian minister, he says, why should we praise God? Because he's good to you Jews. If he's good to us, we'll praise him. But because he's good to you, we should praise God for you? So Itzla says, yes, you should praise God more than we should. Because you are very busy all day scheming behind closed doors about what to do bad to the Jewish citizens in your country. We're going to charge them more taxes. We're going to kick them out. We're going to evict them. We're going to make them. Uh, we're going to kill them. We're going to make uh, make them convert. Whatever your diabolical schemes are that the Russians were constantly trying to cook up things, you know what you're doing to us, and you know how for some reason Hakadosh Baruch Hu always steps in and saves us. We're oblivious. We don't know what you're planning behind behind closed doors. So we don't really have the full ability to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu because we're in the dark. But you guys, you do know. You know what you're planning and you know how somehow, someway HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always Matzileinu Miyadam. You have to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu more than we do because you know the full extent of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's saving of Kal Yisrael. There are so many things that potentially could go wrong in our life. And we have to give Haidah to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the missiles that we don't know were detonated. And we have a Talmud Yeshiva who's not here today, but he was a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, Parshas Chayisar of last year, he was in Hebron and with his family on Arab Shabbos and a sniper, an Arab sniper in Hebron shot him the bullet taka hit him it hit him but all of the doctors and all of the soldiers and all of the people in charge they could not understand what happened after that a bullet hit his leg now a lot of these bullets are have explosives inside the bullet so as soon as it impacts it explodes so naturally speaking he probably should have lost at least his leg if not his life that's when it looks like but not only did, not, did it not detonate, there's no exit wound. Meaning the bullet didn't even go through his leg. It stayed in his leg. But the only thing is, they never found that bullet. So the bullet went into his leg. It didn't explode. It didn't leave his leg. And it disappeared. And this is a guy in our yeshiva. It's a tremendous mace. It shows how Kedushbarhu has such hashkacha practice over every bullet, over everything that happens. How Kedushbarhu is guiding everything, and he's protecting us. I'll just end with a story that happened during the Second World War. There were Jews that were able to. German Jews that were refugees in England. And England took them in, but then they had a problem because they had so many of these German refugees, not all Jews, some are some were non-Jews, and they didn't know who were German spies and who wasn't. So they, what do they do with them? So what they did was they basically said, we have to ask all German citizens to leave our country. But at the same time, they had Rachmanis on them because where were we sending them to? 
So they put them all on a boat and they said, we're sending you to Australia. Because Australia was, I guess it was a British colony or something, and, and it was relatively safe, but it was far away that they didn't, it was far away enough that they didn't have to worry about these German citizens, even if they were spies, doing anything bad because it was so far away. And so they were going to go to Australia, they could live a life over there, but you're just not allowed back in, in England. Okay, so these Jews were rounded up and they were put on a boat. They put all their life possessions in suitcases and they went on this boat. Now, all of a sudden, the, germ- the, the captain of this British ship made an announcement on the boat that we just spotted a German submarine. This is during the, during the war itself. German submarines were patrolling all the seas over there and they were shooting up all the boats that were from the enemy, uh, the enemy side. And so we, what we have to do is we have to make the boat as light as possible so that it, it's as close to the surface as it could be so that the German submarine doesn't shoot us. So how do you do that? You have to throw overboard all of your possessions. All of your suitcases, your camp trunks, your luggage, your attaché case, everything. everything. You can only keep like one small thing and everything else has to be thrown overboard. And this was their life. All their clothing and all their svarim and all their everything. But what can you do? This is what you have to do to save your life. So everybody started chucking hundreds, thousands of suitcases were floating in the sea. And all of a sudden, like the German submarine signals to this boat that he's not going to shoot them and not only that but he's going to escort this British boat all the way to its destination to Australia a funny thing, it's a strange thing, how did that happen? and all the people on the boat were very upset because uh, so it's a friendly submarine and we have to throw all of our possessions overboard like well, what was going on? Why do we have to, who, whose brilliant idea was this? Anyway, they made it all the way to Australia and they were escorted by this German submarine who was making sure that nobody was going to shoot at them. And they get off and they make a life for themselves in Australia. Many, many German Jews were there and they were living a regular life but they they were always upset. Why do we have to lose all of our stuff? Years later, they found the diary that was published of this German submarine captain. The captain of that German submarine published his diaries. And he speaks about that incident. He said that we saw this British boat and we were going to sink it. Naturally we should have sank it. But all of a sudden we saw that there was luggage that was being thrown overboard. And so what we did was we got we went and we we hopped one of these pieces of luggage and we brought it into the submarine. And we opened it up and we saw that there were German books in there. There were German books and German diaries and German handwriting. And we realized that these are very intellectual people on the board, on, on the boat, and they're Germans. And it wasn't too long ago that the Germans, a German, German submarine sank a different ship, which also had a lot of German nationals, and they got in very big trouble for it because you can't kill your own citizens. I mean, Germans can, but you know, it, but but it wasn't. It didn't play well in Germany, so they were very scared to do that again. And we, they saw from the fact of the submarine that the luggage contained German material. There was definitely German citizens on the boat, and that's why we escorted them all the way to Australia. And that was the end of the story.
it comes out that all of those years before they had read that diary, they thought that it was all happenstance and it was all the Germans was on their side and everything was fine. Why do we have to lose our luggage? And then they realized that everything was Hashkafa practice. That they threw over their luggage and the Germans saw that there was German literature in their luggage and because of that they saved them and because of that they weren't hit by a torpedo and not only that but they were shielded. All of this is the ability of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to protect us at all times. We don't realize it. The Gemara Nida says, Ein nes The person that's the recipient of a nace doesn't even understand, doesn't even understand how lucky they are because they don't realize it. Sometimes we're upset because, uh, I don't know, you know, a lot of times as the older that I get, the more I forget things. So a lot of times like I'm already in the car and I realize, and I'm driving to Yeshiva, and I realize that I forgot, I don't know, my cell phone, or, or something, a safer that I needed, or something, and I, I turn around, and I go back, and I'm upset, like, why did, I, why did I forget that? I don't realize that, maybe if I had not forgotten that, I would have gotten into a terrible car accident, or I would have hit somebody, or I would have, something else would have happened. Every single moment of life is divinely orchestrated. Nothing is by chance. Nothing is happenstance. This is what the Maka of Bara teaches us. That every bullet has its address, and that a bullet and a bomb could stop mid-air if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that that's what I want. And this is something that we have to realize, it's something that we say in Maidim every single day. There is Nisim and Niflais that take place every single day that we have no idea about. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of us, He protects us, He makes sure that harm does not befall us unless there's a, a reason for it befalling us. But this is something that, a very important lesson that we take from Makkah's Barad, every single Makkah, as we're studying these parshias, we learn about all the Eser Makkahs, the Mepharshim detail, exactly the customized lesson that Kal Yisrael Mitzrayim took from every Makkah, and it applies all of it to us today as well to give us an infusion of bitachem when we need it to give us the, the ashkafas of how everything in life is by design and whatever happens is for reason don't get upset, don't get despondent don't look at everything as being bad luck what we think is bad luck is really sometimes the biggest rock on the world it's just a matter of having the right tyrodica glasses to perceive things as being exactly the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to perceive things. In the Mitzvah Hashem, we should go forward um, from these parashas with a, with a new infusion, a renewed emunah and bitachan, that kalma david rachmana with tab Have a good chance.